Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Play Like a Girl podcast, one of the shows for SB Nation's Ohio State site, Land Grant Holy Land. We are two girls talking about sports because our opinion counts too. I'm your host, Meredith Hine, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host, Megan Hesline. Hey, Meredith. Uh, that Rose Bowl was probably the craziest Ohio State game I've ever seen. I can't wait to talk about it with you today. I know. It was a lot of emotions and obviously right down to the wire at the very end, but before we get into it, happy new year. Yeah, happy new year. Um, what a crazy way to start the new year. I mean, luckily it ended up with a win. So I think that's a pretty good start to 2022. I know, I was texting with my friend and she was like, hey, if this is a sign of what this year is going to bring, it's gonna be a roller coaster, but all good things. So with that, uh, let's get into it. Uh, Megan. Obviously, Ohio State did not seem to show up in the first quarter. What are your thoughts on the opening of the game? That was just, it was awful, like to put it frankly. I mean, I was thinking maybe they might be a bit rusty because they haven't played in a couple weeks, but I just feel like it was definitely more than rust. Like the defense simply just did not want to be there at all. They looked like they've never played before. It was just, it was so rough. I mean, the offense was doing great. No blame on the offense at all, but the defense was struggling very hard, but luckily they got it together to pull out the win. But man, at first it was looking really rough. Yeah. And I think even the fact that Ohio State started out with two, three and outs on offense um, certainly did not bode well. We knew that Utah was coming in with one of the best and most balanced defenses in the nation, top 20 in both rushing defense and pass defense. Uh, but the way they just managed to shut down Travion Henderson in those first couple drives uh, was very nerve-wracking. Uh, Henderson would finish with just 83 yards on 17 attempts. Um, that 4.9 rushing yards per attempt was Uh, Certainly not on par with what we've seen from Henderson this year, which is closer to seven yards per attempt. Um, So, uh, you know, we really, I I don't know about you, Megan, I certainly thought that especially with the absence of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, Ohio State would be leaning on that running game. Um, And so I was very nervous when they could not get that going in their first couple drives. Yeah, that was definitely very concerning. You know, obviously, I thought that Jackson Smith and Jigba would go off because he would be the number one receiver. Didn't know he would go off that hard. Uh, Super glad he did. But yeah, Henderson, I could tell right away they were just not going to let him, you know, run on them. And it was definitely very concerning. Uh, So they put in Mayan Williams, who I think did pretty good. Um, Obviously, we just didn't rely on the run game that much because luckily we didn't have to because 
Stroud and Smith and Jigba just had the game of their lives. But yeah, definitely a little bit concerning. Um, I don't want to think that Henderson has maybe been figured out because obviously he had such an amazing year. But something to think about going into next season. I mean, I'm sure he's fine. He's only a freshman. But yeah, it was definitely a little bit concerning. Yeah, um, definitely not. Not a lot of concern uh, about Henderson, uh, Utah. That was the one area that Utah knew how to prepare for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you really didn't know what you were going to see in the passing game beyond, as you mentioned, probably a lot of Stroud to Njigba or Smith and Jigba, which is exactly what we saw. Um, but one thing I just want to highlight that I thought was really funny was, you know, Stroud is coming into the game with what, like 30 run one rushes for negative 30 yards on the year. And he actually had a 10 yard rush um, against Utah. Uh, and I think we were all very excited to see that play with his legs. That was literally like my favorite play of the game from him, I swear, because like this entire season, that's been the one thing from Stroud. I'm like, please use your legs. I mean, I know he doesn't need to, honestly, but just seeing him scamper for 10 yards, like that was so far for him. So I was just so happy. Clearly his legs do work. So that was just such a highlight for the for the game for me. I mean, I feel like all Buckeye fans were just cheering so loud in that moment, even though it was only for 10 yards. It was so awesome. I know. And, you know, we've gotten so used to having quarterbacks who can make plays with their legs. Um, but Stroud just, you know, he defies that. And that's his prerogative. Um, and he certainly has not needed to make the plays with his legs uh, because he has had Travion Henderson to do that. Um, and he certainly had uh, this set of receivers who he's had available all year. Um, so with that, Megan, let's let's get into Jackson Smith and Jigba and his monster performance, um, breaking Rose Bowl records, breaking Ohio State records. Um, I'll just give you the stat line real quick. He finished the game with 15 receptions for 347 yards and three touchdowns. Oh, my God. He just could not be stopped. Like, even after halftime, Utah had no plan to stop him. It was just impossible. It was literally the best game of his life. And it just proved how good of a receiver he is. Like, Obviously, with Olave and Wilson, he was kind of in the shadows a little bit, even though statistically he had the best season out of the three of them. Um, but this game just proved that he's just amazing. But what's even more shocking is the fact that, yes, he had all these yards, but like he was not the only receiver that Stroud was throwing to. Like He was spreading it around. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. had a great game, Egbuka, Fleming. like They all contributed. But obviously, JSN was the main receiver, racked up all these stats. It was just, it was just so fun to watch. Like, I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. But I'm just so happy we got to witness it. For sure. And, you know, this is one of the, and we'll talk about opt-outs in a little bit. um, But obviously, with Alave and Wilson opting out, you see this across the college football landscape. Other players stepping up and sort of having a preview of what's to come when you have these bowl games Um, with these star players opting out. So seeing this next generation of what's coming in 2022 at receiver for Ohio State, um, it it looks like we will not be taking much of a step back from what we had this year. And keeping in mind that what we had this year was the best receiving core in college football. Oh, for sure. I am not worried about our offense at all next year. Stroud just solidified himself as the best quarterback in football, I believe. And 
yeah, even though these guys are young, they totally showed out at the Rose Bowl, which is really great to see because obviously this is a huge stage, really their first time, you know, getting a chance to show off what they can do. And they did not fail under the pressure. They performed so well, and it was so great to see. Obviously, JSN leading the way, but like I said, these other receivers stepped up too. So I'm just so excited to see what they can do after, you know, practicing in the offseason, gelling some more with Stroud. Um, I'm just so excited to see next year's offense. Definitely. Um, And just to round out uh, the discussion on the offensive side of things with Stroud, um, we've been talking a lot about his receivers. Stroud had another six touchdown performance against Utah. Uh, He was 37 of 46, which is just bananas for 573 yards. Again, with those six touchdowns and that one interception. Megan, it just feels like we are so used to seeing these 500-plus yard performances from Stroud. Like, how spoiled are we? Like, this is not normal. I feel like we just expect this from him now, and if he gets anything less, it's a disappointment. But, man, he's just crazy. He's had such a good season, and I think that finishing fourth in the Heisman voting just totally unleashed a completely different side of him, and he just went off in the Rose Bowl. I mean, I I predicted before the game, I was like, I feel like he's definitely just going to show out today. I wasn't thinking 573 yards, but hey, I'll take it. He just looked absolutely amazing and definitely solidified himself as a great player in college football. So I'm just so happy he's on our team. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, And, you know, we mentioned Smith and Jigba's record-setting performance. Uh, Stroud's 573 yards were also a single-game record uh, in passing yards for Ohio State. And with that performance, uh, Stroud did exceed 4,000 yards on the season. He's just the second Ohio State quarterback to achieve that mark. Obviously, Dwayne Haskins uh, is that really it? what feels like an insurmountable mark at 4,800 yards in 2018? But heck, Stroud threw for – he finished with 4,435 yards uh, in the 2021 season. Um, that was without a Big Ten championship game. Uh, also keep in mind, which is fascinating. Um, but heck, maybe we will see him eclipse even Haskins' mark in 2022. For sure. I mean – He missed that one game against Akron, and he didn't play complete games because it wasn't really needed. So sometimes in the second half, the backups were brought in. So if you just imagine him playing all the games in the season completely, like playing the full games, I just can't imagine what his statistics will be. And yeah, like you said, with him not even playing all those games, he still has one of the best numbers in the nation. So It's just so impressive, especially, like I said, from a freshman, his first year starting. It's just unbelievable. So can't wait to see what the future holds for him. I totally forgot about Akron, but we absolutely know that he would have padded that stat line significantly against the Zips. Um, Just wild. Lots of things to look forward to on the offensive side of things. Um, I'm also going to say, Megan, on the defensive side of things – I think we saw exactly what we thought we would see from the Ohio State defense against Utah. We knew that they were super balanced uh, between their rushing attack. They have a, I think, trio of running backs um, who, you know, all were doing very, very well this year who were going to be challenging to stop with a not great rushing defense from Ohio State. Um, And then 
Cameron Rising, also a very solid, efficient quarterback uh, who we knew was going to be a challenge as well with one of the worst passing defenses in the nation. Um, But in terms of optimism heading into next year, uh, Oklahoma State, uh, where we got our brand new defensive coordinator from, did beat Notre Dame. Uh, they did allow 35 points to the Irish, but you know, for a Big 12 defense, I feel like that's pretty decent. Oh yeah, I completely agree. I I really just can't wait for him to get here soon enough. I just think Ohio State needs to completely revamp their their defensive coaching staff, just bring in fresh people, and I can't wait for him to get here because that was one of the worst defensive performances I've seen from Ohio State probably in my entire life, that it was just, it was so concerning. Like our lack of fundamentals, we just couldn't tackle. We couldn't stop anyone. It was just, it was so bad. It was so nerve wracking. So I just, I can't wait for him to get here. I know they got it together in the second half, thank God. But especially that first half, it was just so rough. So cannot wait to see what a revamped defense looks like next year. Yeah, and from a coaching staff perspective, uh, once Jim Knowles does officially join the staff, um, someone on the defensive uh, coaching staff will be getting a pink slip. Don't know who. Um, it feels like it's – or I mean all projections are that it's going to be Matt Barnes or Kerry Coombs um, who gets the ax, but uh, certainly something that's going to be announced here in coming days um, who uh, will be leaving the Ohio State staff. Um, but yeah, it it was it was troubling. But like I said, we saw very similar performances, especially with rush defense against Oregon and Michigan. Um, we kind of knew that Utah would run all over um, the defense. Uh, but the good news is Ohio State did enter the game with the nation's leading scoring offense. Um, so if we're talking about you know matching touchdown for touchdown, they certainly were able to. Uh, the one area that I was really surprised at, and I really thought that uh, we would see a special teams touchdown on the Ohio State side of things, um, but we did see that very troubling touchdown from Utah on special teams right after Ohio State pulled within seven in the first half. Um, and at that point, Megan, I don't know about you, but I just felt so depressed. I was like, this is not – like we just can't stop them in any phase of the game. Yeah, and that was right after we just scored. Like, literally, we scored a touchdown, and then they return it 97 yards for a touchdown. It was, yeah, like you said, so deflating. And we just could not stop Britton Covey. He just ran all over us. And then when we had eight seconds left or however much time left in the game, we kicked it to him. And I was, like, shocked. I just – I don't know why we would not kick it through the end zone. We kept giving him a chance to run all over us. And I was getting a little nervous because he got like 30 yards and I was just scared that we weren't, we weren't going to be able to stop him. Obviously we did, thank goodness. But man, we just could not come up with a plan to stop him. And he was just scary fast. He just ran all over us. He he certainly did. Um, on the other side of special teams, uh, I want to give Noah Ruggles a huge hug. He was oh yeah. So clutch and incredible. Um, I don't know about you, but as Chris Fowler was going through that very dramatic reading of like where Noah Ruggles came from and how he wanted to play for Ohio State, but ended up in North Carolina and then ended up back like in Columbus. Um, and you know, you see someone who's missed one field goal all year making a chip shot. Like, I was like, is he trying to jinx 
struggles. <laughs> um, but the drama was just so high. And man, it's got to feel good for him. You know, someone who really did not have to be relied on at all through like the first maybe two thirds of the season, uh, suddenly called on to win the Rose Bowl and coming through in the clutch with that chip shot. Yeah, I'm glad. Such a fairy tale ending for him. I'm glad that he got to score the winning points. Obviously, probably not the way that us fans wanted it to end. Uh, a little bit nerve-wracking, but yeah. I mean, Noah Ruggles is just one of the best kickers in college football. So reliable, and I had no doubt in my mind that he would make that at the end. So just great ending for him. Everyone is so happy for him. Um, definitely a great kicker. Yep. We do not have time to get into why exactly Ryan Day chose to call a timeout with 12 seconds left. Uh, to your point, Megan, uh, feels like we could have ended the game with the field goal instead of kicking it back to Covey, who had already scored on Ohio State once. Um, but we've got a lot more college football things to talk about, including playoffs, the Bull Challenge Cup standings, and more. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break before we get to that. So stay with us. Welcome back. Uh, so, Megan, I don't know about you, uh, but the story of New Year's Eve was something of a disappointment when it came to the college football playoff games. Yeah, I was really hoping for some better games. I feel like all the New Year's Day games were 10 times better. But let me just say, I was not shocked by Cincinnati losing the way they did. I fully expected that to happen. But I was very shocked by the way Michigan played. I really thought that they would at least score more than they did. I mean, Georgia just completely outplayed them in every aspect. And I was I was just so shocked. I really thought Michigan had a chance to beat Georgia before, you know, entering the game. But, I, yeah, it was just not good games all around. Not fun to watch. Definitely. Um, Cincinnati, I was actually surprised about. It felt like they were keeping things relatively close in the first half. Um, but what was fascinating to see, and this is the sad part, right? And it's the difference between the two-star and three-star athletes that Cincinnati gets and the five-star athletes that Alabama gets. Um, you know, Desmond Ritter, ha he, he was doing well. He didn't make a ton of mistakes. Um, against Bama. Uh, his receivers, I thought, played pretty well. But what was just so interesting was how quickly Alabama's defensive secondary caught up to receivers. Like you would see Ritter throwing passes ahead of receivers, you know, them catching it ahead of corners that they look like they had beat. And you knew that if it was Ohio State, if it was Smith and Jigba or Olave or Wilson or anyone else, they would have been gone. They would have been in the end zone. But Alabama's cornerbacks were able to catch up and make very clean, very efficient tackles. Um, and it was the same in Cincinnati's rushing attack. Um, you know, you see someone start to break through a hole and then just absolutely stop as though they ran into a brick wall. Um, and it was just kind of, I don't know, I felt sad to see it. Yeah, I did feel sad for Cincinnati because um, they obviously, they worked so hard. They deserve to be there. But I mean, they're just not at the same level as Alabama in, you know, the likes of Ohio State and Georgia. So that was just exposed um, in their game. So 
they're just they're just on a different level. They're a very good team, but they're not a power five team. And that showed against Alabama. They're just not as quick, not as efficient. And they really didn't have any breakout players that game. You know, we really needed Desmond Ritter to go off and have the game of his life if they had any shot against beating Alabama. Um, and he didn't, you know, no one really had the best game of their lives. And as a result, Alabama won. Um, but yeah, like I said, I just, I wasn't too shocked by this because after all, it is Alabama. It is Nick Saban, the Heisman winner, Bryce Young. I just didn't see Cincinnati pulling the upset, but I was thinking it might've been a little bit of a closer game. However, that did not happen. So still great season for Cincinnati. They shouldn't be hanging their heads. Yeah. Um, in terms of the broader landscape, obviously we're going to have a couple years until, the college football playoff can actually expand, uh, but it certainly does not bode well for group of five teams heading into the future based on what we saw from Cincinnati. Um, the Bearcats were probably – they're like on Boise State's level in terms of the dominance that we saw from them this year. Uh, they did have those wins over Indiana and Notre Dame earlier. Um, Notre Dame obviously finishing off with a great season in a New Year's Six Bowl as well. Um but even that didn't seem to be enough to play with the likes of Alabama. Um, but, you know, credit goes to Cincinnati because they did not have the worst blowout we saw on New Year's Eve. Uh, that title goes to Michigan, who, what the heck? Like I said, I was just shocked. I could not believe their lack of offense. They just couldn't stop Georgia. I mean, it was just every area of their game. They were just totally not on the same level as Georgia. They didn't look like they belonged. And I was I, I was just shocked. I was like, how did they beat Ohio State? It just looked like a completely different team. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I really, their lack of offense was what shocked me the most because I was, I was thinking it would be a shootout between these two teams, but obviously did not happen. And Georgia just looked like a completely different team from the SEC championship. So I am excited to see the national championship game, a little bit of a rematch, because uh, it just looks like these teams are both playing the best football they have all season. So it should be an interesting game, but Michigan just really did not show up and it did not look good for them. Yeah. Um, and even on the defensive side of things, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, who heading into this game was looked at as a possible number one overall draft pick in 2022. Uh, finished the game with just four tackles, no sacks, no turnovers. Um, so definitely a struggle in all aspects for Michigan. One thing, you know, that's probably we should be grateful for is Ohio State really had no business being in the playoff this year and probably would have had a similar result against Georgia. Um, and so probably, you know, should be very, very happy that we ended up in the Rose Bowl, um, against Utah. Uh, yeah, I, for one, am not particularly excited about a rematch of the SEC title game. We already saw the results of this, um, but who knows, maybe Georgia will end up on top, but probably will, you know, go to bed early next Monday night because, don't really care too much about seeing the SEC championship repeated. <laughs> hey, I think it'll be a good game. Like, seriously, I think Georgia just really – it was a wake-up call for them when they lost to Alabama the way they did. And it's not like it was a blowout. Like, it was it was a competitive game. So 
I think this is definitely a confidence booster for Georgia. They're winning against Michigan. And I'm excited to see how they play against Bama. I think I think it'll be a good game. I mean, obviously, it's two SEC teams that we see pretty often, so it's not really anything new. But I think it'll be good. I'll, I'll give it a shot. I think it'll be a good game. Yeah. One other question that uh, the scheduling really brings to mind is uh, – Michigan was carrying so much momentum coming out of beating Ohio State, beating Iowa in the Big Ten Championship, and then you have this break. And it's another argument in favor of expansion because if Michigan did not have such an extended break, would they have been a different team than we saw against Georgia? Um, and similarly, you know, if Georgia didn't have as much time, um, to think about what happened in the SEC title, uh, would the results have been slightly different? Um, and so, you know, certainly something to think about, uh, as we consider an expanded playoff in coming years where games will probably be starting sooner, um, closer to those conference championship games, um, and how that might affect some of these results. Because um, I'm not saying Michigan would have won, uh, but they were certainly a different team, you know, a month ago than what we saw last weekend. Yeah, that is definitely an interesting thing to think about because these breaks, I really feel like usually they really do hurt teams. In Georgia's case, obviously, they worked on what they needed to work on and they played great. But in Michigan's case, like you said, when you have that momentum going, finish off the season, beating your rival, winning the conference championship, you just want to keep playing. You don't want to take a break. And I think that really did kill Michigan. And I mean, the same could be said for Ohio State. They looked really rusty in the first quarter, the first half of the defense. So these breaks really do hurt teams most of the time, I think. So yeah, I would love to see an expansion where they don't have to take you know, these three-week breaks in between games, and it usually ends up hurting them. So that's, yeah, definitely something to think about. Yeah. So thinking again, we will end up with an SEC champion no matter what come the college football playoff final. Um, But looking at the broader Bowl Challenge Cup, uh, definitely some surprises, Megan, when you look at the Challenge Cup standings. Um, You know, obviously the Big Ten uh, having 10 teams in bowl games, including Rutgers, getting in to play against Wake Forest and playing really respectably. Um, Big Ten finished six and four. Uh, the SEC with 12 teams in finished five and six. Again, they're going to end up 500 just because. Uh, but a couple surprises uh, the Pac 12 finishing 0 and 5. Um, and then the ACC, which uh, I don't think won a bowl game at all last year, uh, finishing two and four. Yeah, honestly, I wasn't surprised by the Pac-12. I just think they just were not a good conference this year. And that obviously showed in these bowl games. Uh, they just didn't look good at all. I mean, obviously, Utah was very competitive with Ohio State. But besides that, not too impressed by them. but. Yeah, one thing, one comment that I was shocked by was the ACC. Obviously, they had Clemson win, the Cheez It Bowl. That's just really funny to me, considering they were in the playoffs a couple years ago. But, anyways, uh, Wake Forest got their win. But besides that, they really did struggle. And I think there was definitely some games that they could have won. So I was surprised that they finished two and four. But 
hey, I'm just happy Big Ten finished out on top with, you know, the six and four record, which makes them look really good. Um, but yeah, definitely some surprises coming out of bowl season from these conferences. Yeah. And you consider the fact that the ACC had just six teams make bowls. Uh, Pac-12 only had five. Um really, you know, shows just kind of the struggles that those conferences are having. Um, the Big 12, uh, just to round out the Power Five, did have seven bowl team or seven, uh, excuse me, bowl teams who are uh, making bowl games. Uh, they have a four and two record now, one game remaining uh, because we're not just out of it yet. I think the last game is this afternoon, uh, which is always fun. Um, but uh, we haven't even talked about the winner of the Bowl Challenge Cup, uh, a conference that's built out an insurmountable lead with their six teams. Uh, and that's the Mountain West, highlighted, of course, by Air Force's win over Louisville. Yeah, that was, I wasn't totally shocked by that. It was a competitive game. It was a really fun game to watch. But Air Force just looked really good against Louisville. I mean, I think they're pretty, pretty similar teams, you know, similar record, similar talent levels. But Air Force just looked amazing and got that huge win for their conference. And yeah, they only suffered one loss, which was Nevada. But yeah, all, all five, five and one record. I mean, that's pretty dang good for the Mountain West Conference. So definitely an impressive showing for them. For sure. Uh, go Falcons, just a shout out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the big themes of this bowl season, every bowl season, it feels like it uh, comes up. Uh, this year was particularly prominent, um, are opt-outs. Obviously, Ohio State, as we discussed, had its own opt-outs, um, not just at receiver, but also on offensive line. We saw some of those struggles there, um, especially compounded with COVID this year and having other players ineligible. Um, we saw some of that on our defense. Um, and the teams that we saw on the field were not the teams that we saw during the regular season. Um Lots of controversy, but Megan, overall, what are your thoughts on how opt-outs affected this bowl season? I don't think they had too much of an impact for the most part. I mean, obviously, some of the more prominent stars, it hurts their team a little bit, but I do not blame them for opting out at all. I think that these athletes should do what's best for them. They, I believe they really don't owe anything to their schools because... They just played however long, the last three, four seasons, they gave everything they had for these schools. And now it's time for the next chapter in their life, um, the NFL. And they need to prepare for that and do what they think is best for them. And if that means opting out because they don't want to risk injury, I totally respect that. But at the same time, if they do want to play, that's great for them. I totally respect that too. But it's just, it's sad to see when these players do play such as Matt Corral, and then they do get injured. Um, that was just devastating. Thank, thank goodness it's only a sprained ankle. But, I mean, that's just exhibit A of why these players do opt out because they don't want to risk dropping in the draft. I mean, this is what they've worked for their whole lives. College was just the stepping stone to getting to the NFL. And I think they really don't owe anything to the university because they worked so hard in order to get there. So 
I respect both decisions, um, but I don't think that there should be any blame placed on them should they choose to opt out of the bowl games. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, obviously, Mike Leach disagrees with you and I, but I don't really care. His team lost <laughs> their bowl game. Um, but you're exactly right. Uh, we see these cautionary tales. Uh, if you remember Jake Butt from a few years ago, the Michigan tight end who opted to play in their bowl game. Um he was projected as one of the top tight ends in his class, ended up getting tearing his ACL um, and falling, I think, to the fifth round. Uh, had a very truncated NFL career as a result. Um, and, you know, really, like, we don't know. Uh, it's like the NFL is tough. We don't know if these players are going to make it. But when you see players heading in with injuries uh, and losing out on a lot of these opportunities, uh, it is very sad. Um, saw it. We don't know the extent of the injury, but Tyler Linderbaum, Iowa's star center, one of the top projected centers in this year's draft, also injured in Iowa's bowl game on Saturday. Um, certainly hoping for the best for him um, as he did have to leave the Citrus Bowl. Um, but yeah, we fortunately, as you mentioned, Matt Corral, hope, he looks like he's probably going to be okay. Uh, just a sprained ankle, uh, but lots of exciting things to look forward to. Um, wrapping up bowl season, like I said today, college football playoff final next week. Uh, and then we get to start talking, Megan, about the NFL draft. Yay, one of my favorite topics. Obviously not going to happen for a couple of months, but man, this college football season has just been one of the craziest that I've ever witnessed. Um, but it was so fun. I can't believe that it's almost over in a week. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it's just been a really great season to watch. Obviously not the ultimate ending we hoped for for Ohio State, but still a lot of great talent from them. Um, super great season. So yeah, just can't believe it's over. I know. Um, well, this has been such a fun New Year's show, uh, first show of 2022. I'm excited to continue to bring you all more content heading into the rest of the year. Um, but before we wrap up today's show, Megan, do you have any shout outs? Yeah, I want to shout out Malachi Branham. He scored 35 points against Nebraska on Sunday, and it was just an amazing performance. Obviously, the most points he's had in his career, I believe his previous career high was 11. So 35 was just absolutely wild. He totally stepped up uh, for the Buckeyes when Liddell and Key weren't having the best games. Kyle Young was out, so definitely stepped up on offense and it was just a really fun game to watch an overtime thriller we pulled out the win so yeah Malachi Branham just played absolutely amazing for sure love to have basketball back um I'm gonna shout out DeMar DeRozan uh and I'll be a Chicago homer and pretend like I'm a Bulls fan for a minute um <laughs> he had his second straight buzzer beater to win two straight games for the Bulls uh the Bulls are surging they're kicking butt right now um, so who knows? Maybe we'll see a championship in the NBA in Chicago once again in 2022. Yeah, that was definitely exciting to watch. Um, and I'm pretty sure the only other player in NBA history to score back-to-back -back buzzer beaters was Larry Bird. So I'd say that's pretty good company for DeRozan. But hey, who knows? It might be the Bulls' year. They're definitely looking good. So Wishful thinking for you, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. Heck, I'm a Cavs fan by birth, so <laughs> I think we'll have to wait for LeBron's second return to Cleveland for that to happen again. 
that's all we have for today. As a reminder, you can follow Megan at Megan Hustline, me at Meredith Hine, and the site at LandGrant33. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to Play Like a Girl. And as always, go Bucks.